We're going to have a discussion, another year in review. We're going to talk about 2021 and what it meant for the energy sector, specifically here in Alberta. And as you know, it was a wild year. Started off really, really bleak, really turned around, though. And if you look at it now, things are not too bad at all, at least when it comes to oil and gas prices. So let's chat with Dave Yeager, who is an energy policy analyst and an oil gas writer and author of From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story. Dave, thank you for joining us. Happy New Year. Good morning. Um, yeah, when we take a look at it, let's go back to this time last year as we were heading into 2021. Nobody really knew what was going on, but we did know that energy was under pretty intense pressure, and we were very concerned about where we might go over the course of 2021. Well, just uh, knowing, I turned back the clock already by looking up the price of WTI one yeah. year ago today, and I wrote it down here. It was uh, 4785 which is all depending on jumping around as usual, but yeah. it's about uh, thirty bucks a barrel higher than it was one year ago today. The uh, the uh, spot price for natural gas or the Alberta gas reference price was two forty one, and uh, this morning it's marked four bucks. So these prices are just people went into twenty. I think you have to understand how awful twenty twenty was with the with the near death experience that took place yeah. in the second quarter when they when cash flow went negative. I mean oil went to zero. Oil went negative. There's not a single oil and gas producing or a related service company with any debt at all. There was an offside on their lending covenants at least for a few days. And so uh and then and so they went into twenty twenty one not not really knowing what was going to happen. And all the surprises uh, have been pleasant, certainly on the commodity pricing side, on the volume side, and um, and so it's incredible. Actually, it's, it's a. I think people should just understand what a meteoric turnaround uh, this industry has made in in the past uh, twelve months, and how different, how materially improved the stage is set for twenty twenty two compared to how it looked a year ago today. It's inc- it's great. What do we point to, Dave? Why? Why did it happen the way that it did? When, like you say, there was a lot of concern and a lot of apprehension and worry about where it may go. Well, you're going to find this hard to believe, but the Premier Kenny did not was not the reason. I, I like. I mean, I just I just have to laugh at politicians when when things go well, they like to take the credit. When things they get uh, when things go poorly, they get more blame than they deserve. <laughs> but what happened was is the the economy recovered. You have to go back actually uh, seven years. To, to 2014, when the price of oil collapsed. And so we see multiple years of underinvestment in new oil supplies. There's been no material change in reduction in demand. As a matter of fact, demand continued to grow because oil prices have been well below replacement cost for the past seven years. So we, we the world got kind of got lazy. We had low energy prices for the longest time. We had low uh, interest rates. We had a generally improving economy until 2019. And then along came COVID, and so we we kind of set this up. You know, we, there was this notion that renewable energy uh, was promising, and it is promising. I mean, there's no question they added capacity to to world to renewable energy all over the world. But what they didn't do was uh, they didn't really notice that in terms of percentages of total energy, it hadn't really increased that much at all. So we kind of got sloppy. We thought we could, uh, particularly in places like Europe, and thought they could they could shut down. Uh, coal-fired generating plants, and they thought they could uh, block natural gas exploration and so on and so forth. And then what happened was when the economy woke up and everybody wanted to go back to work, they yeah. looked around at the, at the energy, global energy supply and demand, and the demand was way, way higher than supply. So we've got ourselves into, uh, incredibly, uh, an, energy, an energy shortage, if you can imagine. It's an, an astonishing set of circumstances, really. 
considering the state of uh, the modern economy and society. How long do you think this might last? Because you're right, that's exactly where we find ourselves now. The old supply and demand equation is tipping in one direction. How long will that last? You know, it depends. It depends how we look at it. Um, the other thing that's happened, uh, hopefully, uh, with the thinking is is a bit of a wake up call. We did an interview this about a, a little while ago about the World Petroleum Congress, and there's been this aspirational belief that we could we could con- we could create this energy uh, energy transition. We could switch yeah. from the incumbent fossil fuels to to interruptible renewables seamlessly and without great pain. And so what we discovered is we discovered a little shortage of everything. We discovered that there were some reliability issues associated with the low-carbon energy sources, and we discovered there were some supply issues. So, so it, 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 politically, what, why, why are, I think this is possibly the question of 2022, is what is the, what is the obligation of our of our political leaders? Is it going to be to give, get people what they need to get through the day, you know, like a, a reasonable priced energy, reasonably priced food? Yeah. Or are we going to say, no, we got a bigger fish to fry. We have a greater problem in, in the climate emergency and that you're just going to have to get used to these higher prices. I would hope that the immediate needs of 7.9 billion people would outweigh the long-term needs of those that say we must do this or else. So it's it's going to be quite it's going to be quite something. My personal view is there's a big channel change underway in how we look at at global energy supplies. If that happens, if we say okay, well the number one job of the global energy industry is to supply energy. Sure. The number two job is to is to uh, change the world. You know, in twenty or thirty or forty years by reducing emissions. So it's it's really going to be interesting. My personal view is is we're going to change the channel. I think the great reset that I talked about a year ago at the World Economic Forum is going to occur, but it's going to occur a different way. We're going to have to look at the pace of the energy transition and say, look, what what's practical? What's more usable? Because we, we clearly got ahead of ourselves. Well, this is the thing, Dave, and this discussion's been going on for a long time. I think a lot of people, including industry, perhaps more than anybody else, sort of sat back and said, okay, we hear all the aspirational talk from politicians, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and, and then, like you say, even on if you go farther down the line, you've got the people, that's it, no more fossil fuels, leave it in the ground. And then there's the reality, represented by industry and everybody else that are sitting there going, okay, Try it out. It, it, it's not possible. So, you know, there is common ground here. We can agree to let's start a transition uh, and set out a timeline. But it's this all or nothing. I think you're right. It's just it's not sustainable. I think most people are starting to finally move past it. We, I think it, it, it looked pretty good for the longest time. That's why I have to go back to this period of, uh, say, 2009 to 2019. It was a 10-year period especially after 2014, when oil, oil and gas got really cheap. The price of natural gas in North America went through the floor thanks to the shale boom. The price of oil went down uh, thanks to OPEC. So we had a period where the world was, energy was cheap. Uh, there was, uh, people were happy. People just went to work every day. They didn't yeah. really pay attention because the prices weren't going up. And now they just got slammed in the wallet. I call it the wallets versus the smartphones. In one of the articles I wrote, the smartphones, you pick up your smartphone and say they talk about the climate emergency. You pick up your wallet and there's nothing in it. And so we woke up the wallets of the world is the way I look at it because people are starting to pay for things. If yeah. you look at the price of food, you look at the price of energy, 
you look at all these issues and so what how are the how are the politicians going to uh, respond now that we got everybody's attention as for the, the the fossil fuel industry or the oil and gas producers oil gas and coal producers they've been warning for years uh, that, that there's going to be a problem here. If you read all the trade press, International Energy Agency, which is which is really concerned about climate change and the energy transition, has been warning about under under investment in in global oil and gas supplies for several years, as has OPEC. But of course, these people are regarded as vested interests and and uh, con- conflicted, if you will, conflict of interest and and acting in their own interest, not the world's interest, and so they've been shut down. But I think, as we talked about last month, I think earlier this month, about the World Economic Forum, finally the the people that produce the world's oil and gas screwed up the courage to tell the truth. We we're going to be uh, based on oil for some time. I mean, I mean uh, Saudi Saudi Aramco, for example, said that based on current levels of investment. Um, we're going to have a 30 million barrel a day oil shortfall by 2030. I mean, that's staggering. Mm-hmm. And and, and we you know this year the capital budgets are up to 400 billion. It's certainly the highest in in three years, but it's the lowest. Uh, it's still half of what it was in 2014. And then people say, well, what do we do? Well, we can't. You know, should we invest in this? And say, well, should we buy our shares back? And and so there's there's a there's a bunch of forces. There's the forces of of the market, which say, well, we need more oil and gas, and the producers have the cash flow to reinvest. And then there's the legacy forces of the of the energy transition saying, well, no, we, we you should not invest in new fossil fuel supplies, the $130 trillion that Mark Carney uh, wound up to, or wrapped up prior to Glasgow saying we're going to we're going to force capital discipline on the industry. It's uh, two powerful forces are colliding, what people need and what they're being told they need. And I'm, I'm for, to go back to your earlier question, I frankly think that, that common sense is going to carry the day and we're going to get people what they need to live, which is uh, cheap and reliable energy. So what do you look for then in, in 2022? What do, you, what do you got your eye on? What are you watching and what are you hoping to see? I've been uh, looking at oil forecasts for... Well, Longer than many have been alive, you know. I started writing about the business in 1979, so this would be 42 years of oil forecasts. And the great thing about they're they're always wrong. You know, when you <laughs> as soon as you close the file on Excel or whatever you do, you know it's wrong. The only question is is how much is it wrong and in what direction. Uh, you know, then there's the so-called black swan events that things that come out of nowhere, like uh, like uh, COVID and the pandemic. But in this particular case. I'm inclined to think that the forecasts are low. Uh, low being defined as I think the price of oil will go higher uh, than a lot of people believe, and I believe spending and investment will be higher as the year as as the year progresses. I think you'll see a shift in attitudes, uh, particularly among among perhaps among the ESG investing crowd, where they say, "Well, we don't want you to develop more fossil fuels." I think I think over the course of the year, the industry has the money, they have the cash flow from existing production. Uh, Canada has the resources, and we do have uh, some more pipeline capacity. We got Enbridge Line Three expansion finally got on stream. They're stubbornly trying to build uh, TMX and coastal yeah, gas. Yeah. So I think as the as the year unfolds, the will the forecast will be wrong. They're always wrong, but I think um, I'm starting to believe they'll be wrong on the low side. I think prices are going to be higher wow. uh, than a lot of people think right now. And more important now, I think invest, investment's going to be higher. I mean, That's the, the key, the right? Greatest, yeah, well, the greatest, the greatest challenge the industry faces today is, is a labor shortage, for God's sakes. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, people say, well, we'd like you to come back to work in the oil patch. And they say, well, why? You know, just like just the other day, you fired me. <laughs> I don't blame anybody, you know. So hopefully, maybe we can send some, uh, send the signals that, that, that the oil patch is back. It's, it's not a crime against humanity to be in the fossil fuel business. Uh, we need you. The world needs you. And maybe we can uh, change the channel a little bit and go back to a, a simpler time when, when providing the world with with cheap and reliable energy was a good idea. It's a reasonable discussion. I agree with you, Dave. Uh, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us.